Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 1 of Beyond the Smile, real talk with real people. Each episode is a casual conversation with a social worker, a licensed counselor, an executive or life coach, a chaplain, a nurse, or a physician. My goal is to find out what truly happens after their client or patient leaves or the professional goes home. What is behind the smile and what does life really look like? This is not about taking down walls and boundaries. Our conversations are about normalizing the myth that is helping professionals. Our lives are always put together. This podcast is about accepting that we are human first, professional second. We all have hardship and struggles as humans, no matter what we do in our day job. It is about time we come together and talk about our common humanity instead of living in the shame of what we hide from others. This podcast isn't perfect. There are errors and dogs barking and misstated words and probably even made up words along the way. But there's also honesty and truth with some truly, truly amazing and perfect people. So let's not wait anymore. Here's today's episode of Beyond the Smile, Real Talk with Real People. I hope you enjoy and that you're able to realize you are truly not alone. Okay, welcome everybody to another episode of Beyond the Smile, Real Talk with Real People. And today I have one of my favorite people here today, Miss Nina Johnston. Welcome, Nina. Thank you. Fun to be here. It's so fun to have you. So I um, want to start a little bit with learning about your background. And I know some of your background, but, you know, as far as why you chose to enter the field of social work, you know, what attracted you to it? And like, what are you doing now with your degree? Okay. So full disclosure, I ended up at the School of Social Work by accident. <laughs> I think we all did, but go on. <laughs> I was, I was beginning my senior year in college, mm -hmm. finished my credits, or I finished my requirements, mm -hmm. and meeting with my advisor and said, so I don't really want to spend the next year doing basket weaving. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then we as with a major in psychology and a minor in dance. And uh, but I was very clear I didn't want to go into research. And so yeah. they suggested that I apply to the School of Social Work. So I was in school in Washington University in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And the George Thorne Brown School of Social Work was there. And ironically, that had been the library I had chosen as an undergraduate to study in. I applied, they accepted me. So I actually started my graduate work my senior year of college. Oh, wow and fell in love and knew that in sort of intuitively, I guess I was drawn to that school because I'd been mm -hmm. studying in their library the first three years of my career there. So began and, um, and have stayed with working with children. So my beginning has been, had been working with, um, just after I'd graduated, working with little girls who'd been sexually abused. Mm -hmm. so did individual therapy and group therapy with them. Mm -hmm. Then I moved to working in and running the children's units in a private psychiatric hospital. So I had three 
three to 12 year olds there. Mm -hmm. And as things became sort of political within Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. I um, was ready to branch out on my own. So for the past, yikes, it's going to age me. (laughs) Five years, I've had my own consulting business to um, childcare centers, after school programs, um, and yeah, and and private schools, some Montessori schools. Mm-hmm. So I love it. I love the flexibility that mm-hmm. an can give people that you can right. sample so many different areas. So I've primarily stuck with families mm-hmm. and children and the developmental ages and stages. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also run a program for um, seniors and a bereavement group mm-hmm. because truly a family is a family and it absolutely all ages. Mm-hmm. So got into it by accident, sort mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and well, flexibility. Right. And I think like we've all, at least everybody I've spoken to, um, except for one, I have, I've done one interview that they said from age nine, um, they knew that they wanted to be a social worker and just based on things they were seeing in their community, but everybody else I've spoken to, it has been a, I started out as this, and then I kind of fell into this, um, my story included, and I can't imagine myself doing anything else at all. And so it's, I think it's divine intervention. It's, you know, the the way things are supposed to be and it all falls into place at the but end of the day. It was a calling. Yes, absolutely. It's your calling and your purpose. Yes. Yep. So what do you feel has been one of the biggest challenges for you um, throughout your social work journey, whether it be in the consultation side or even in the agency side prior to that? to keep in check the wish to fix ah all right tell me more about that well, Isn't that's that's such a therapy line too tell me more about that <laughs> <laughs> but i knew just what you meant <laughs> i think many most of us are in this field because we are fixers what we want to help and we want to be able to help people and i think to always remember that helping is helping people be able to do this on their own mm-hmm. versus going in and bringing, you know, the wish to have a magic wand and makes it make it all better for everyone. Mm-hmm. So, like when working with young children, mm-hmm. sometimes that you have to just be patient to get and their families to be able to get to a place where they can do this on their own and not ha- go in and just make it happen. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's, cons- I would say, sort of consistently in the in the different areas that I've been working in. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, I wish I did have a magic wand. Right, right, right. And, and I've told clients many times over the years that, you know, my magic wand was on back order. And then I had the privilege of going to Harry Potter land in Orlando and purchasing a magic wand. So now I tell, especially my teenagers, you know, that I just haven't figured out how to use it yet. Um, but it's no longer on back order. But I think it's that innate desire, yep. you know, the sympathy versus empathy 
you know, argument or debate of, do I want to jump in and fix, or do I want to stand in the muck with them and empower them to walk through it and get to the other side? It's so true. And I, and I like thinking of it also as sitting with their pain mm -hmm. and being able to help people know that it's, it's not, it's not so awful and that right. they, they can in fact, and, and we can give them tools mm -hmm. to be able to do that and work with mm -hmm. them and help navigate that. Mm -hmm. um, right. and, and I think also in working with families with young children, mm -hmm. one of the things that is so important is to be able to help the parents to learn how to take that role because right. certainly as parents, you and I both know you do kind of want to fix everything and just take care of it and make it easy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's important to let wait wait so you're telling me i can't fix everything for my child is that what you're saying nina <laughs> well i didn't really want to bring <laughs> <laughs> no we can fix a lot <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. we can tie their shoes when they're really little mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah so <laughs> Absolutely. So one of the things that we talk about, and I think it, it, it blends beautifully with that statement of wanting to fix and sympathy versus empathy is, is just that concept of self-care. And it's something that comes up in the graduate classes that you and I teach. Um, it's something that I think every therapist, social worker, clergy, lawyer, doctor, nurse, you know, what, whatever helping professional or profession that they're in can really give that speech and give that speech well. Yes. Of this is the, this is the importance of self-care and this is why we need to have self-care. But what does that look like for you? And how do you give the speech versus how do you walk that out in reality? So you may or may not like this answer. No, you will. So um, and you're right. We can tell everybody, you know, be sure to breathe, meditate, exercise, eat well, get good sleep, all of those things. Everybody knows those things. There was a time in my life that I remember one particular friend of mine used to always say, but what is it that you do for you? What is it that you do for you? And I, and I found myself sort of irritated by that question, thinking, <laughs> I don't do anything for me. You know? But a piece that I want to start with is to, to not deny a, a piece of what I do for me is this work. Mm -hmm. That it's, it is, a, as we just started saying, it's mm -hmm. ingrained in us. It's a, mm -hmm. it, we're all drawn to this and it's mm -hmm. an important component of who I am. And so if I'm not doing this work, there, that's a, a whole, that's something that's missing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I acknowledge that part. Mm -hmm. But then there are things that, you know, you, I think you find passion in, mm -hmm. in and it isn't necessarily in my world for me, mm -hmm. obviously good walks and good sleep mm -hmm. and all of those things. Um, but finding things that are creative passions and outlets have been what's been the most um, so for instance, I don't do either of these well, <laughs> but I play the piano and, Wonderful. um, probably poorly, but my greatest mm -hmm. fan is my dog who will come and lie under the piano as I'm playing. So mm -hmm. there's, that. 
so mm -hmm. we can. And I um, do glass blowing. You do what? Glass blowing. Wow. See, I learned something new about people that have been in my circle for years as I'm doing these interviews. So tell me, tell me more about glass blowing. That's fascinating. Very fun. So um, I grew up in Rochester, New York, very near mm -hmm. Cornwall Glass mm -hmm. Company. And so as a kid, those used to be things. And I always have loved it as a medium. I think it's a really beautiful and the way light plays with it, et cetera. So we had this really wonderful family trip that was a big, huge celebration of a bunch of milestones in my family. And we went to Italy and we were, um, and we went to the glass blowing and I just was like, I think that would be such a cool thing to learn how to do. So the joy of the internet, I got back to the States, I Googled and found a place that I could go. And so I did the very typical beginning things of making paperweights and making ornaments mm -hmm pumpkins and we've got a lot of glass pumpkins in my house <laughs> um, but then I started taking private lessons and so I've you know had the and again let me stress I do not do this well but it's a really wonderful place that I just get to go and be and with materials and create something and sometimes mm -hmm. I end up throwing them away because they're laughable mm -hmm. and sometimes they're kind of fun and they hang around for a while so, wow, that is so super cool. For me, it's what I was saying is finding something that you, mm -hmm. that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. That's where the most, for the self-care, I think, is right. different than the, um, than the, the other, the, all of the other really positive, important things that we, right. we talked about. Right. That's what I, so this friend of mine said, what is it that you do for you? And, mm -hmm. and. And the other piece is my family. My family brings me great joy. Mm -hmm. and so I would say life. Yeah. I do that for me, life. Yeah. So that's awesome. That's so that's so cool. Um <laughs> I've all I've always wanted to throw clay mm -hmm. and and create pottery. Um, but one thing that has always been a barrier for me with that has just been kind of the time the classes are and they would conflict with teaching or they would conflict with clients. So when a friend of yours or a colleague of yours says, hey, I've got this thing I've always been passionate about, but I just can't really find the time. How do you push back at that? Like, what would you say to me? I'm totally putting you on the spot here um, on something of, it's something I've always wanted to do, but yeah, I just can't, just can't find the time. So I think I would say, I bet you can find the time mm -hmm. if you really mean that. I mean, and so again, I come back to like, is that something that's really sparking the drive? Mm -hmm. So, because we all know that we can schedule things, mm -hmm. that you can say this class is happening on a Tuesday night from mm -hmm. seven to nine. Mm -hmm. And if it's not a class, because we both know <laughs> those are stuck. Yeah. <laughs> right about now, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> we also know there's a month off between classes and that, you know, there are breaks. And that you, it's kind of like, if you have a doctor's appointment, you put it in your your calendar mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. schedule a client during that time. Mm -hmm. 
just like we ask our clients not mm -hmm. schedule when they make an appointment with us to, mm -hmm. to that. So you could schedule it out far enough and test it. And if you really, mm -hmm. really do love it, you'll find a way to make that happen. There so making it a priority, like you would make other things a priority. Right. I used to do that with my kids' things for school. I would say mm -hmm. it would be so easy for me to not go to what such and such. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was in there. I would schedule around it. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I may just try that. And that comes back to what we've just said about mm -hmm. the self-care, about putting others and ahead of mm -hmm. us. And I'm suggesting that not in every case, but in some things that are important to mm -hmm. important spot. Right. Right. No, I like that. And I will definitely, definitely check that out. Absolutely. <laughs> so I know. So you'll have your glass blowing and I'll have my pottery and before we know it, we'll be in <laughs> together. Exactly. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> Watch out, Etsy. Here we come. So along the way, um, like who have you looked for for guidance? Like when you hit those rough spots, when you hit, you know, times that, you know, if you've ever questioned, um, am I really doing this? Like, what am I thinking? Like for me, I always joke, I'm going to go sell umbrella drinks on a beach in Fiji. And I'm, I'm just, I don't want, I don't want to play anymore. But on, on those times that you hit those barriers, whether it's personally or professionally, how do you seek out guidance, support, mentorship? What does that look like for you? So carefully, mm -hmm. um, there have over the years, because as I confessed, <clears throat> it's been quite a few years that I've been doing this. Mm -hmm. um, there have been people who I have met both um, professionally over time. And there are a couple of people who I kind of, I, they're a go-to. Mm -hmm. And so I would, guess I would call that more like peer mentoring, mm -hmm. peer, mm -hmm. um, because it's, it's a relationship that has developed over time. Mm -hmm. and that, um, so one is a, a social worker. One is... I believe she her master's is in counseling, mm -hmm. but um, owns and operates a, a residential program mm -hmm. of her own. And you know, and so, but and those are people who it, it feels like a safe place that's mm -hmm. that's removed from my mm -hmm. day, in, day out mm -hmm. business, but but have grown with me as my business has grown mm -hmm. with me. So know it. So you, it's almost like mm -hmm. you can pick up the phone and finish the conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. without having to give all of the back background right so for me but that took a long time to develop mm -hmm. so back at the beginning it was obviously supervisors and people who um and and specifically when i think about like when i was working with the um sexually abused little girls that was very much within a um a, a very supportive insular team mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because a lot of people really have a difficult time understanding that particular 
population of work. Right, right. Um, and and many people have such strong emotions about it. It's hard to it's hard to get to what you're struggling with because you're educating people is about so much. Mm -hmm. That was definitely um, within the team in that way that was most supportive. Yeah, and I like when you say um, people who are like one step outside of your circle. Um, and I am from a uh small town big city as you know and and i'm not using that phrase properly but you know we have over a hundred thousand people that live in my community however it's never felt like such a small town to me as anywhere else i live like everybody knows everybody knows everybody knows everybody and being in this field for I will own it, Miss Nina, decades, um, you are running into people either in a supervisory role, like what I did agency work or a collaborative role in private practice. And those aren't the people necessarily that you wanna go and open up to. Right. And, and really kind of share your soul, especially if it's something on the personal side of things, like, you know, you, you brought up some of your earlier work and if, you know, somebody had trauma in their childhood and there were some triggers and they needed to work through some of those triggers, you may not want to go to somebody that you used to supervise or you're going to see every day. Right. And so to be able to have those relationships formal or informal that you respect but that are removed from that inner circle i think is so so important i think and you know and it's interesting as you were saying that i was thinking about when i'm working with the families mm -hmm. i will often say when like when a young mom will say to me i want you know i would normally talk about whatever struggle she's having with her child mm -hmm. with my sister who i am so close with and i share everything with. right but when it comes to an issue about their child or behavioral issues, they don't want to mm -hmm. say, well, I understand that. You don't mm -hmm. want to be sitting at the mm -hmm. dinner table at Thanksgiving dinner mm -hmm. and say, mm -hmm. have your sister look at you and go, oh, I see what you're talking about. Right, right. So it's, it's that same sort of thing that sometimes mm -hmm. we do need to create just a little bit of distance mm -hmm. to be able to feel safe and, and be vulnerable ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the ability to be vulnerable ourselves and to name that that shame piece, you know, that we're hiding behind that if left unchecked could very easily sort of morph into this imposter syndrome, burnout, whatever, because, you know, secrets are what hold us back and shame is a secret that creates that barrier to hold you back. So to have that person you can be vulnerable with, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a coach, whether it's a, co a trusted colleague that you have this mutual exchange with, but isn't local, I think is just invaluable. And you and I could talk about the implications of COVID on mental health probably for the next five days if we had the time. But I think one of the benefits that I've seen in I want to talk a little bit about your consulting business that you're doing now and, and maybe how it's impacted it is that 
virtual services now, you know, they were the norm for at least the first half of COVID. Now that we're kind of, I would love to say at the end, but we'll get there someday. But now that we're on the second side of things, um, some people are back in person. A lot of my clients are like, hey, I kind of like this virtual thing, but it's also allowed me to expand into different states, which working with helping professionals, having clients in California, we're never gonna cross professional paths. And so there's that ability to be completely transparent because I'm not gonna randomly show up at a treatment team meeting or run into you at a networking event because we're 3000 miles away. So how have you seen that play out? And, and I do want to clarify before anybody panics is I am licensed in the state of California. So this is all legal and ethical here. Um, but how have you seen that kind of with virtual and the consultation? Because I know you were brick and mortar, but you know have had to reevaluate like the rest of us over the last year. So the the piece that really has changed and i haven't been able to um and i hope will come back is in the brick and mortar piece of the work that i did with the observation in the classroom to be able to go in and with parental permission of course to go into a classroom and see a child in their setting obviously i'm not going to be in and out of schools at this time um however I have been able to maintain um, trainings and consultations with staff mm-hmm. on how to best meet the needs of the children in the classroom setting mm-hmm. as they've been able to describe them to me. Mm-hmm. So truly that speaks to their experience. It, I, you know, in some ways it, it doesn't even really, what's most important is how they're handling mm-hmm. situations mm-hmm. there and how they're perceiving and mm-hmm. moving forward from them. And so we have been able to do just, you know, like all of us, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and have a conversation mm-hmm. and that, and then also parents I've been able to meet with. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing prior to COVID, I was doing parent meetings on Zoom. Um, mm-hmm. because I found that in their, in the busy day of getting from a child to school, getting to work, getting, picking a child up, mm-hmm they weren't gonna come back out in the evening to have a meeting. And so I started putting the meeting on Zoom and my, that they could come with a glass of wine, but I didn't wanna see the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> but we would meet after, you know, at eight o'clock at night. So mm-hmm. I'm home, they've gotten the kids dinner, mm-hmm. in bed, you know, bathed in bed. So mm-hmm. that I was actually, interestingly enough, already sort of right. beginning. Right. The, but, all of that said, I'm finding that people are tired of being on Zoom. Mm-hmm. So when I was doing that and people were in the office, mm-hmm. they were much more excited and open to meeting at eight o'clock on Zoom. Right. Mm-hmm. Now they're less excited. They've been on Zoom all day. So yeah. It's funny how that has had actually a, a flip-flop. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And one thing that I can definitely put in the show notes is a very interesting article that uh, one of my business partners sent to me this week solely about that concept about Zoom fatigue and just that true 
impact that it's having on folks and just not wanting to show up from a meeting perspective. Um, so I, I think there's two sides to the coin, just like there's two sides to every coin of some people really embracing and saying, okay, this is, this is the way my world's going to be regardless of what happens and I'm going to embrace it and run with it. And then other folks saying, yeah, but I really want that in person to be back. I want that human connection, which I think yeah. is impacting all of our mental health, but especially for us as holders of that space, there's a lot of heaviness that comes from that. Well, and I think, you know, what we were just talking about with burnout from the perspective of a social worker, there's burnout from the perspective of people mm -hmm. with this virtual and you know work from home there isn't the separation there right. is the well, rinse out your coffee cup mm -hmm. turn it over and then you're done and you're going home mm -hmm. this isn't clear anymore it's all getting right. so blurred right that having meetings at eight o'clock at night doesn't feel different it feels like right. more of the same Correct. So I'm Correct. sort of trying to obviously pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. so, so I do, I worry about the isolation that parents are feeling in that way, yeah. because yeah. a way to reach them is a way that they're burnt out. Correct. So. Correct. Well, yeah, and just a, a little sort of Melissa tidbit that I always like to throw in periodically without being asked is that, you know, in the beginning of this whole process, I think my mindset was, well, I'm not doing anything anyway. So if somebody wants to meet at nine o'clock at night, cause that's when their kids go to bed periodically, not consistently, but periodically I'm like, well, I'm just hanging out at home. Why not? And I think that now a year later, and, and we're almost on that year mark is, um, and I'm sure some of the pounding will come across in this audio, even though I'm trying really hard not to let that happen, is that I have finally come to the position a year later that I need a designated space that I can close the door, walk away from, turn the lights off and even if it is in a lower level, I get to walk away from that lower level the way I could walk away from my clinical office. But it took me a year to get there. And I think a lot of people either don't have that luxury or don't have that awareness that, hey, we've got to change things up because this, this heaviness and exhaustion, it isn't going to go away if we continue to do the same things over and over again. So one of the things that I've been talking with parents about, but mm -hmm. with all of us, is it's almost like, well, what I've said to parents is a way to signal to their children that they're at work mm -hmm. is to have some part of their outfit be a visual cue. So that if, you know, if I, if mommy is wearing this necklace or if her hair is, however, mm -hmm. that your cue that mommy's at work mm -hmm. or, you know and what I've said to them is that's also your cue that you're at work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to change that when you leave your computer and your mm -hmm. desk mm -hmm. and you go into the kitchen to make lunch mm -hmm. right so then your mom yes or your dad, yes or 
your Melissa or your Nina. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think that those are some of the things that we need to make a part of our routine to Mm -hmm. give ourselves a physical and visual cue of not working right now because it's very blurred. Correct. Correct. And I, I will self-disclose that it took me three months, but Mm -hmm. after three months, I decided to give the favorite mouse pajama pants a rest (laughs) and actually step up to the world of jeans or pants solely because of that mindset of, okay, if I'm on video, who cares like what PJ pants I have on? But I think it sends that mental kind of image that, hey, we're all blurring all these lines and we have to make those clear delineations. I think, and and again, it's so many of these things that are sort of your greatest virtues, your greatest vice. And, you know, technology is this incredibly liberating mm-hmm. resource that we all have, but we mm-hmm. also all carry with us in our phone, every email, every everything so it doesn't matter what time of day or night mm-hmm. we say oh i'm so sorry i didn't mm-hmm. see your email mm-hmm. until i got into the office yes we look at it and, and correct. we look at it correct there is correct so again but you could very easily say to clients from mm-hmm. the beginning i need you to understand that mm-hmm. after a certain whatever that magic time is mm-hmm. Don't open emails. You mm-hmm. are certainly welcome to send it to me, but mm-hmm. I will not right. be looking at it until right. the following day. Right. Along those lines. So, yeah. 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 And and before we wrap up, I, I have to just on that point, and like I said, I've learned so much about people that have been in my circle for years in this this podcast adventure process, um, but also about tips and tricks for self-care that I necessarily wouldn't have thought of. And I did an interview and I don't know where it's gonna fall in comparison to um, with your recording, but with somebody you and I know quite well um, that she is an assistant dean of a very large, and I'll say international because it's an online masters of social work program and it was online pre-COVID. So this is how we've always taught, nothing changed for us. And she had made the comment that at eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, she doesn't answer emails anymore and she doesn't touch them on the weekends. And for me, that was like, oh, wait, what, whoa, you're Dean and you have all these students and all these faculty and you can draw that boundary? Like, why am I so special that I feel like I have to respond to people? And that was a a pivoting change in my communication response. Um, For me, I'm kind of an out of sight, out of mind. So if you email me, I'm gonna email you back. I don't care if it's midnight. Um, But what I wasn't realizing is what message that was sending to my colleague or to my client of, oh, she's accessible at midnight. No, I just didn't want to forget to respond to your email, but that's not how it's received. And so I think that's a really good point. And I think, yeah, and you can find your own way of how you do that. Maybe you don't open it so that it, 
I understand what you're saying. It's like, yep. forget it. Or yeah. <laughs> yes. I'll lose it. Yep. So I better respond to it right now. But yeah, but if you don't open mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. it's new when you open it on Monday morning. Right. Right. So it's, I just, I found it very interesting that somebody that I view as a mentor and as somebody that I respect, it was almost like she gave me that permission to be able to just not answer an email, which is awesome. So as a closing to our interview today, what is one piece of advice that you would give to the next generation of social workers coming through. They're either in grad school now, straight out of grad school. What do you wish you would have known at that point in time that it took wisdom and growth and trial and error to get to? Oh, no, that isn't a lot of question. Um, <laughs> um, I, I think the, and, and you and I do this with, our students, mm -hmm. but I believe it. I think the, the greatest thing to remember and gift that we can give to people coming into the field is to take the personal pressure off of yourself of having the answers. Mm -hmm. And to, as I said earlier, it's okay to sit with somebody with their pain. You don't, it's not your job to take it all away. Mm -hmm okay to sit with somebody and say let's figure that out let's work on that I don't you know but I think I think and I and I think this comes with with being in the field for as long as you are you sometimes even feel more so I should have the answer right and it's it's okay to not have the answer right away and right. To, be able to give people the message that you're going to stick with it with with through it and I think that because I do think that sometimes people feel like oh my gosh now I'm in this profession I need to have all of the answers mm -hmm. it can be as simple as you may not have the right referral right right from, and that you need to look into it you're right you know, so well yeah and I think that's just a very important closing point is I also think it shows your common humanity um, because if you and I have answers to absolutely every problem that we're given then it almost models to our clients that they need to have the answers for every question we ask or problem they're thrown and the reality is is none of us have all the answers and we just kind of I don't want to say fake it as we go along, but we figure it out as we go along. And answers because we're being asked a question and not, and that's not thoughtful. No. I was saying that when kids are little, we ask them so many questions. Like, what color is that? What, how many fingers? Mm -hmm. You know, what letter mm -hmm. is this? And they answer and, and they, you know, and those are very specific questions. But sometimes we'll say to somebody, well, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. And and oftentimes people don't know. Yeah. But they yeah. give an answer because we've spent their our whole lives answering questions we've been asked. And right. that sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. I have to think about that. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that is a beautiful way to 
complete our time together. And I thank you. I know you're in the midst of some, some crazy changes in your world. <laughs> yes. So I appreciate you carving out this time to talk to me. It's a delight as always. And so thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to Beyond the Smile. And I look forward to having everybody return next week to hear from our next guest. All of Nita's contact information and our bio will be in the show notes. So if you're interested in any of the consultation services, um, if you're interested just to pick in our brain a little bit more, uh, we'll make sure you can track her down. So once again, Nina, thank you so much for being a part of this. And I, I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. You too. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Take care. Thank you everyone for listening to yet another episode of Beyond the Smile, Real Talk with Real People. I hope you enjoyed the discussion today as much as I did. Don't forget to download, like, and share the episode with anyone you feel could really benefit from the message. In addition, you can follow us on social media, or you can sign up to be a part of the podcast and receive notifications of new episodes at our website, beyondthesmiletribe.com. Check back next week for another exciting discussion on Beyond the Smile. Until then, don't ever forget your worth and always remember to take care of you.